0: Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and we are here today as part of the podcast series we're doing called Journeying Through the Realms to discuss the Exandria setting. Uh, Exandria is a home, home setting of the Critical Role campaign created by Matthew Mercer and was originally mm, I cannot speak today, and was officially <laughs> canonized by Wizards of the Coast as a D&D setting with the publication of Explorer's Guide to Wildemount which was released as a source book in 2020. Matthew Mercer was a lead designer with additional writing and design by James Introcasso, James Hike, and Chris Lockie. Joining me today to talk about Exandria is my guest, Virginia, AKA Tabletop Horde on Twitter. Virginia, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. This is a setting that I love to talk about, so.
0: <laughs> well, I'm so glad you were able to jump on. I really do appreciate your time today. Uh, in case anyone isn't familiar though with you, uh, Give us, a, you mind, give us a couple of, like, who are you? How do you interact in the role play game world? Uh, anything you want to share?
1: Oh, uh, well, uh, a lot of people might know me from uh, my work with Modiphius Entertainment. Uh, as of the recording happening now, I just finished my last week there, because uh, oh. I'm going uh, freelance for a little bit in the TTRPG sphere, uh, take a bit of a break, um, but I have, some people probably also know me a lot from some of the streamed games that I did, a lot over on Encounter Roleplay, now called We've Pardon me, I can't talk today either. Uh, now called Weave the Tale. So I've been playing and running TTRPGs for about five years now. And I've okay. been working in the industry in about three. So I've I've had my hands in lots of places. Online streaming, um, a bunch of RPG books that people probably know, like Modiphius' Star Trek, uh, the upcoming Fallout game, um, and lots of stuff with uh, Black Cats Gaming, who I'm currently doing work for at the minute, on things like the Spy game and their upcoming Gamecast Captains of Cthulhu. So oh. I, I do a bit of everything. Okay, <laughs> if excellent. it exists in the TTRPG industry, I'd probably done it. Okay,
0: <laughs> well, that's extremely awesome. And once again, I'm glad to have you today. Now, normally we start these with what I say, like the origin story, like how did you come into contact or first come to love the Exandria setting? But I think with this one, we have to start a little earlier because I don't think we can separate Exandria from Critical Role. I just think those are inexplicably tied together. So as someone who also has watched uh, a lot of the Critical Role, according to you, um, kind of give us a primer on that. What is Critical Role? And more importantly, if you can summarize, summarize it, what, how, how has it influenced the world of role-playing games?
1: I mean, I think the answer to that second one is massively.
0: I mean, yeah, I agree, yeah.
1: Yeah, me, me personally, I'd always known that D&D existed. I didn't really know what it was. I spent a lot of time trying to Google how to play D&D by myself. <laughs> before i realized kind of how it all worked right uh and i stumbled across critical role and i don't know how far they were into their into the first campaign the vox Machina campaign then um but that was like early days geek and sundry like definitely in the in like the very first the very beginning of the campaign because you can tell as the production quality gets higher all the way through Mm -hmm. that that first campaign But, you know, Critical Role at the Heart is a a really awesome group of friends uh, who also all happen to be voice actors and or actors and mocap artists and stuff that play Dungeons and Dragons in this incredible setting from the mind of Matthew Mercer. Um, So much so that it is my default D&D setting (laughs) these days uh, for many reasons. But yeah, the impact that they have had is just phenomenal. I mean, they are they were my gateway into finally plucking up the courage to learn how to play. Um, because what you saw from uh from their, I think I was watching on YouTube at first before I caught up enough to watch the live streams mm-hmm. sometimes. Um because they didn't edit anything out, you could see the rules as they happened. So by the time I first sat down at a role-playing. Table to play. Pathfinder was my first game. I kind of roughly knew how things worked. So I think for a lot of people, they were the gateway into role playing, which is a huge thing because it can be a really difficult thing to try and explain to people what a tabletop role-playing game is or how they work. Right. Um, and you know, especially if you're you're not a teenager, you're not a kid, and you're an adult trying to convince other adult friends to go, Mm -hmm. hey, sit around a table and play pretend with me for four hours. Right. Trying to explain to them why that's fun i know so many people that have pointed friends in the direction of critical role and they've watched it and gone oh that's not at all what i thought it would would be like
2: Hmm. you know
1: it's it's way more fun than just writing numbers on a sheet right um so i think that they have been responsible for bringing a lot of new people into the fold i think they've also been responsible for changing um kind of the perception of ttrpgs because it's got a lot of stereotypes Um, and obviously it's a show that you know it's it's stereotyped that you know the tabletop role playing games like a lot of things like video games or board games anything gaming related sometimes gets this vision that it's a very male dominated space which in some cases is true but you Mm -hmm. know obviously on Critical Role you're also seeing these very successful prominent women um, playing around the game table too which I think is really encouraging and I think it's become a vision for a lot of women getting into role playing it's a lot less scary to look at when you can see people that look like you
0: yeah I mean, representation matters if you yeah. can't look at something and see yourself in it it's hard for you to want to be a part or, or know how to break into it that way so i 100 percent agree with that
1: yeah so i th- i think that you know they, they've had a massive effect on just bringing to light a lot of ttrpg stuff that does break some of the stereotypes for Perhaps for people that aren't already into tabletop games, mm. and I think for people within who, who are already in that space, um, you know, they they fostered a massive community as well. Oh, where yeah, people huge. get to, you know, share that passion and find other people to play with, and you know, fan art and all sorts of craziness that right. I've seen as that community has has grown over the last few years. Um, so yeah, I I think what they have done within this space is great because it brings more people in um and and you know they've also branched out into. i know their main their main game is D, but they've also gone off and played other smaller systems on their kind of uh one-shot episodes which is great because it's also introducing people to other you know uh, campaigns and other rule systems that are out there that exist uh, mm-hmm. which is always a good thing
0: yeah i you know again when well, we started the rpg academy now almost 10 years ago that was kind of our goal was to help teach people what this was actually about, and you know, get people to play. And they have just obviously done that much much greater success than we have <laughs> ever hoped to achieve. But you know, I so I look at them as like, you know, like the goal, like that's what we would want to have done if we would would have been able to get there ourselves. But I'm happy someone is able to do that. And you know, I I'm one of those people that I hear a lot of pushback about how D and D. And I'm getting way off topic here, so I'll try to make this brief, but that <laughs> the only people who play d and are people who don't know that there are other better games out there. And I very much disagree with that. I do think there are other better games out there, but, you know, I've played at this point dozens and dozens and dozens of role-playing games, but d is still my favorite. You know, like, yeah, it's I still mean... the one I want to play at the end of the day most of the time, even though I really enjoy these other ones too. So I just, I like to push back, I mean, not that you were doing that, but pushing back on the idea that... D and D is just your first game, and once you're in, you will do other things. I'm happy that Critical Role is helping facilitate a wider range of breadth of knowledge of these games, but that doesn't mean that D and D can't still be your favorite.
1: Oh no, of course not. I mean, I I wholeheartedly disagree with the idea that if you just come in and you just want to play D and D, that that's somehow wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I I've you know I've played a lot of D, a lot of systems in the five years I've been playing games. I've worked on a lot of uh, a lot of systems and developed. Um, a lot of rule sets I still love D&D with a, with a passion mm-hmm. it, like any system it has its faults and it has yeah. things that it's better at and you know there are some things that other systems are better for and I, I think it's all about what you enjoy mm-hmm. if you come in and you play D&D and that's what you love and you don't ever want to look at another role-playing game that's perfectly fine because for the most part D&D is one of the most accessible games in terms of it's it's everywhere it's right. easy to find it's easy to find people to play with it's home home ruled to the nth degree which means that you can you know you can get used to a certain way that your GM might run it and that's just the way that you like games and I don't think there's anything wrong with that I'd always encourage people to have a look at other role playing games because you might find another setting another system that does a bit more what you want it to Mm -hmm. do than you realized but you know I think at the end of the day the whole point of TTRPG gaming is to have fun and have fun with whichever system you're having fun with.
0: Yep. Uh, I, I don't have the banner up for me now, but that's actually our motto here, is if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So like, that's kind of what we live and breathe by, here. But enough about me. We're here to talk about you and then talk about Exandria. <laughs> now, so Critical Role, they have had multiple campaigns, which I think this they're on their third one. Is that correct?
1: Uh, I think they have just finished their second second okay. I'm, I'm a little bit out of the loop currently because i've been like under a work pile for the last sure. six months
0: <laughs> so either coming um, to the end of two or maybe already transitioned to three i'm not exactly sure now yeah, have, th- have both of these
1: had i think they've had the finale for the second one okay. already
0: and yeah. did both of these occur in exandria because i know that there was like a previous hardback book that came out through green ronin publishing uh and then the new wild guide to Wildmount came out through wizards of the coast are they yeah. both set in the same world
1: yes they so they're both set in exandria which is the name of the the world matthew mercer okay. has created uh the first book that was published by green ronin was before i think they had partnered with wizards of the coast officially mm-hmm. um but that is a book for 5e um, okay and that that focuses on Taldore, which is one of the continents within this this world Exandria. Um, and that is all that is what you see predominantly in the first campaign um, is Tal'Dorei. That is where it is set. And the second book that came out with Wizards of the Coast was Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, which is the focus that the continent of focus for the second campaign, of which I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I haven't seen all of it, but I'm, mm. I'm, I'm going to work my way around to it now. I've got some time. Uh, but I have seen all of the first campaign. I actually uh, I fondly remember watching the finale live for that one and bawling my eyes out at the end of it. <laughs> mm.
0: Fantastic. So my, my normal first question, of course, is how did you become involved? But I think we kind of answered that because it's through Critical Role, is yeah. how you came to love the setting. Um, so one of the things that we we want to do here is we're not trying to compare and contrast as far as better or worse, because I think those are subjective, but for a lot of people, Forgotten Realms is kind of the default, even mm-hmm. if you don't play in, a, in a, a game that uses Forgotten Realms, if you make up your own, I still think by default, you're kind of playing in a pseudo-European medieval fantasy world that happens to have dragons and wizards in it, um, so I like to use it as kind of a baseline. So what would you say are some of the biggest things that sets Exandria apart from a setting like Forgotten Realms?
1: I mean, the the biggest one that comes to mind for me, uh, as somebody who has tried to deep dive into some of the older D&D lore, um, I have an extensive collection of second edition books that I'm oh, working yes. my way through, um, but it's that the history of Exandria is so much more accessible. Um, If you are new to D&D, and I remember coming in and you try to read up on the history of the Forgotten Realms, because that setting has existed for literally decades, Mm -hmm. there is law upon law upon revised law. (laughs) And, you know, it's trying to pinpoint an actual history of anything in particular in the Forgotten Realms can be really challenging. Um, which means if you're a, if you're a dungeon master or a player who really likes to have that background knowledge, you could be there for weeks trying to, you know, trace back the history of the patron god that you want to take for your paladin or the history of the homeland that you want your character to be from. Um, whereas I feel like the Exandria setting is perhaps a little bit more accessible in understanding how some of these histories are built, Mm um, because both both the setting books obviously share the same, um, you know, like from, from the beginning history to present day, which goes through uh, the Calamity and the Age of Arcanum um, and is really plainly put and doesn't require you to wade through, you know, books and books worth of um, history to figure that out. And mm. I think that's a really great thing because it allows you to see what elements were important for that history that might be interesting to put into a game or interesting for your character to have some knowledge of or attachment to
2: mm-hmm.
1: without feeling really overwhelming if you are newer or if you struggle with kind of building those big epic histories. um it has one that is just a lot more accessible to read, and that's probably one of the most unique things because I think a lot of d and d settings, especially the the Wizards of the coast settings, have because it's been around so long they've just they've got a wonderful rich history. But they can be a bit overwhelming sometimes to try Mm -hmm. and to wade through and really pull out the the gems that you want.
0: Yeah. And again, I would agree with that. And I think, you know, for some people like I've read Lord of the Rings one time and I really enjoyed the book. I really enjoyed the Peter Jackson movies. But there are people who've dedicated like there's like, you know, they can have a master's degree in just that book, I think. And then you add in like the similarion on top of that. And so there are people who understand that book so much better than I ever will, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. And that's a long kind of weird metaphor to say that, you know, if you enjoy the Forgotten Realms lore or or any other setting lore and it's deep and rich, that's great. But from a new person player coming in, yeah, having like quote unquote a newer world that I don't have to have a PhD in lore to maybe fully understand everything that's happening can be a plus.
1: It's it's definitely a big bonus. And I think because now I've worked in the industry and I've been, you know, developing setting books and uh, you know, choral books that have to dive into this law for some what might be considered more obscure settings. So I worked on John Carter, for example, which mm. I'm sure there are a lot of people who know what that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of people perhaps more my age who are maybe, t- you know, 10 to 15 years younger than the the kind of the demographic that's interested in that don't really know the history of so a big focus of whenever I've had to write setting pieces or develop those um as part of my work was making sure that it's as accessible as possible to people who don't already know what this is um so that you can bring them in and they can also enjoy this really great thing that's here for them to play with mm-hmm. uh, so I that's it's just a big thing that I appreciate about the Exandria setting as a whole it's just how accessible that is
0: All right, very cool. So, I have a few questions I want to go through to kind of help draw out some individual unique elements of the setting. Uh, And again, this is a primer, I don't expect us to dig super deep. But, you know, again, if there's something you're passionate about and you want to share that passion with someone who's listening, who maybe who may not know, then you you do you. All right. <laughs> um, but the first question is very a lot of these are very big questions. So, again, don't feel like you have to to broach the entirety of it. But what are some of the unique features of the Exandria setting? What are things that like you merely think of as if you play an Exandria, you can do or see or be your experience that is unique or special? Um or just important in that setting versus maybe something else.
1: I think for me it's as a whole, what um the, the two continents that we have at least anyway of the of the exandria setting um is just how versatile the storytelling that you can do is. Okay. Um, because Taldore itself, depending on when you set a campaign, and I have run a couple of campaigns based in Taldore. Um, can be focusing on such wildly different broader aspects Um, so if you're playing after immediately after the end of the first critical role campaign in that sort of time you're dealing with a continent which has just had a massive um, you know one of the biggest cataclysmic events in recent history with the Chroma Conclave and Thordak and uh, Vecna and everything else that's gone on so you're you're dealing a lot there with with concepts of how much was lost what's being rebuilt what's happened to the remnants of these terrible groups that have you know perpetrated this this violence upon a continent um or you can skip forward 10 years in time and suddenly all of that's been done so now the story is what happens next what's the next thing happening what's been building in that gap mm. um and you're you know there's a lot of epic fantasy potential sitting there uh, and with Wildemount, um, you know it's a it's a continent which is on the brink or in the middle of war constantly between all of these fragmented groups that lay claim to bits of land and want more power and all of these kind of underhanded groups you have a whole crime syndicate which operates in Wildemount. Um so it's just that there is just so much to play with and so many versatile kind of story uh what's the word i'm looking for um just like the the overarching tone of a campaign is changed massively by which of these things you want to focus on and i think it's something that the setting has done really well to feel organic in it that it isn't just kind of wedged in that oh we you know we need something exciting so we'll just put these two people at war it's really deeply woven into the history of These places and these people and the kind of timeline as as the history has happened that it just makes for being able to weave these threads together so easily you can start out with a campaign that's all about epic high fantasy and just going and beating the monster that's you know upsetting the village
2: Mm -hmm.
1: to being pulled into a really complicated you know political intrigue that's actually going on behind the scenes and Mm. i really love that kind of gameplay that you can get um because it makes it so easy for GMs. If you have, you know, we all know how it is as a GM. You start with an idea for your group and it turns out they kind of want to go in a different direction. And yeah. in some settings, it can be really hard to then divert the campaign off and kind of find a new thread for them to follow where they're interested. But with this, it's it's so easy because there's always so much going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Now, again i'm very ignorant of the setting which i'm very ignorant of most of the settings that we have covered <laughs> so that's not really a surprise but when the wild book wild mount book came out i remember that there's like a big i called it a d12 i think it is it a dodecahedron or whatever the, the term is for a 12-sided polyhedral and i love d12s they're like my favorite die i'm actually designing <laughs> a game specifically to get people to roll d12s and i kind of made a joke that that's all i needed to know is that there's a giant d12 on the cover do you know what that is? Like, what is the D12 thing? Is it, is it supposed to be like a magical item or something?
1: So uh, this, is, uh, this is where I get judged by a huge part of the critic community for not having uh, watched all the way into Campaign 2.
0: <laughs> okay, my apologies. Um, I'm not trying to set I, you up for uh, failure.
1: Oh, no, no. Um, I, all that I know is that it is, uh, as far as I have got into Campaign 2 before uh, work took over my life, mm-hmm. um, was that it was something of immense magical power which would make a lot of sense because the Exandria setting and you know one of the other big unique things about it is um this focus on really awesome in my opinion arcane artifacts uh which is all relating back to the history of the the calamity when the the gods and the betrayer gods fought and after that when uh humans and elves you know the, the folk of Exandria meddled a bit too much in magic and created these ridiculously Powerful artifact. Hmm. So I don't know what it does exactly. I never got that far into the campaign, but I do know that uh, the Mighty Nine stole it. Okay. Uh, and the last that I saw of them when I was actively able to watch, uh, they were running around trying to not get caught with it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we'll leave that to our potential listeners if someone's listening and you either you know, you can drop a comment in the episode and let other people come and read it. Or if you don't know, then you have uh, some homework. Go go find out. <laughs> uh, and the other things that I, I know just a little bit about, I, I think there's, at least in the fifth edition rules, there's like a couple different schools of magic that were added, is it like Dunomancy. And- Dunomancy,
1: yeah, which is, uh, I believe, is like um, kind of time-based magic. Okay. Um, which is really cool i haven't yet been able to do a deep dive on it and uh and play with it uh because world events have kind of put a hold on a lot of the in-person gaming i used to do but of course um it's always cool when uh, a setting like this gets to introduce those elements and they get brought in with official rules support that is actually Mm. balanced to fit with the the core game um
0: my uh, yeah. very first D character ever which i was a, it was a dm pc because i was a forever dm uh was a chronomancer and i have loved the idea of mages who affect time and you know there was no such rules for that when i started playing back in the 80s so we just flavored everything so like my spells like i cast magic missile but we it had something to do with time travel when I did it uh so yeah so anything that has to do with time travel magic just absolutely uh thrills me (laughs) and anyone who's played in a campaign of mine that I ran they know that time travel is probably gonna appear somewhere at some point it might be subtle it might be uh overt but there will be some time travel element so I'm I'm always a big fan of that
1: I I think any any kind of magic or um, even, even sci-fi elements if you're playing sci-fi games that play with time are always really, really interesting. Um, it's one of the reasons that the Feywild is so fun because you never know how long you, you've you been there. Mm-hmm. So you might go there and it might be five minutes since you left or it might be 500 years, but only a day has passed for you. And those kind of things are always fun. Um, my understanding of, understanding of Dunamancy from the spells that I've seen is they're kind of like the little ways that you can affect time. Um Like stealing little moments or speeding something up slightly which is always in some ways more fun than just like being able to be like I go back an hour to redo stuff it's all all little things Mm. and as a GM you know it's always the little things that you pay attention to and you you then go oh you you did that little thing I'll put that in my back pocket that's going to come back later right um and they're always the the more unexpected things that end up cropping up because you everybody knows at the table that the big event that you do, you know, if you mess with time, is going to come back to bite you. But nobody ever really thinks that that, you know, that speeding up of that one little thing or, you know, switching fate at the last minute in, in some tiny, insignificant way is ever going to come back to, to haunt them or to show its repercussions. And it's always fun when it does because players don't expect it.
0: Right, yes. <laughs> Uh, so one of the things I like to talk about are any uh, really like unique or important locations, NPCs, or storylines that, you know, you could drop your characters in your campaign around. I want to start with the NPCs here because, again, I imagine as someone who doesn't watch Critical Role, but I know how wildly popular it is, I would imagine that one of the things about putting a game set in a an in a Exandria world is that you can take the characters from the show and put them in your campaign as NPCs. Is that accurate?
1: Uh, yeah, you can absolutely do that, and I I did several times mm-hmm. um, when I was running a Tal'dorei campaign because uh, all of my players at the table were massive critical role fans, uh, and this this was before even campaign two had started. Like campaign one was just finishing, um, but I think yeah, some of some of my favourite ones obviously are from the the Tal'dorei setting um, as opposed to Wildmount. Um, but i think the the npcs that are really key for me aren't necessarily the the big powerful npcs that you see or the big big bad guys mm-hmm. but they're the kind of they're the daily interaction npcs that you you have so um you have uh alora Vysorin, who is one of the members of the arcana pansophical uh, pansophica i'm going to have messed that up one way or the other but
0: <laughs> i wouldn't know um, even if i knew
1: who is this um this powerful, I can't remember if she's a wizard or a sorceress now by, by stat form, but she's mm-hmm. this powerful magic user that sits uh, within this council um, and who later on in the first campaign, Vox Machina, interact with a lot. She becomes uh, an ally of theirs, which is um, really fun when you get to bring her into your games because it means that you can get really into some of the politics that's happening um, in Tal'Dorei specifically and some and start branching out into kind of the the aims of um the arcana panosophicle um and what it is that they're doing um Gilmore is another f- favorite one that everybody loves um if they've seen campaign one and he he becomes kind of vox Machina's sponsor, so he owns a magic shop and uh they they always go to him for whatever they need for adventuring and he kind of you know he as long as that they you know, they, they talk about Gilmore and his, uh, his Gilmore's Glorious Goods is his shop. Um, he's this wonderful uh, Marquisian character who the players just like, they keep going back to him. And I brought him into my own game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, my players, they, they'd heard Vox Machina got sponsorships. They wanted to try and go and get their own. Uh, and they would not stop. But we had, episode like we we called them episodes in game but our sessions that we had um we'd spend like three weeks where they just wanted to go shopping because they wanted to find an excuse to talk to this this npc that they'd obviously that they loved from watching the show um and i think those are the those are the important ones the the people who don't necessarily hold all of the power or all of the wealth, or all of the connections, but that players can keep revisiting, because it's really fun to give those NPCs plot development, Mm. and as a GM, to take an NPC that was crafted by someone like Matthew Mercer, who's imbued that character with so much recognisable history and backstory and mannerisms, to then try and bring that into your own game and kind Mm. of make it your own in that way, but still recognisable, is really fun. Uh, as a challenge, and if they become characters because the players visit them so often that you can give life and story to instead of just being shopkeeper number three. Right. You know that they go into once and they never see again. Mm. You can actually start building these relationships with these NPCs because they are much more accessible than, you know, the person who sits on the throne or the the big bad at the end who. You're only going to see once because you've been chasing his minions around the the entire campaign, right. but never him. Um, but that that's just me personally. Um, those those kind of characters, uh, Lady Kima's a big one, who is uh, a Laura Vaisoran's partner, who is a I want to say paladin, but she might be a cleric. I can't quite remember now. It's been a while. Um, but these these accessible characters uh, in in terms of NPCs, that's what I like. Um, the one that I can think of most predominantly for what I have seen of the Wild Mount, uh, Mount campaign is Pumat Sol, who is the, uh, the Wild Mount equivalent of Gilmore. He is um, he he is the one that provides the Mighty Nine with a lot of their items early on in the game, uh, and he has these simulacrums, so he basically copies himself five times to work in his shop. So I remember watching fondly as the, the cast try to go and speak to him as much as possible, because it's this back and forth between five versions of oh, him wow. uh, and like Matthew Mercer having to talk to himself on screen for five minutes um so I think the players in my Tal'Dorei campaign if I were to run another Exandria game now would probably go and seek him out for the same reasons mm,
0: nice yeah uh, I, I think those are the things especially if you're talented like Mercer is in that regard like I would never want to spend five minutes talking to myself in a game because I would be bored my player's you know witless but if i had the ability to to do that sort of vocal you know characterization then it probably would be amazing to to watch and behold so uh yeah again uh, i'm not matthew mercer so you know in case you were confused um <laughs> So what about locations? This is something that, like, as a fan of Eberron, it's it's my favorite of all the publication settings that I've ever really played in. There are some just, you know, unique locations that you, you kind of want to visit. Like, if you're playing in an Eberron campaign, it's not really an Eberron campaign unless you go to Sharn at some point. It's not really an Eberron campaign if you don't go to the Mournland at some point or ride the Lightning Rail. Are there any of those features, locations in Exandria, places um, that if you don't go then I won't say you're not playing it but that like you kind of almost like a destination like Disneyland or Disney World like if you go in Alexandria you want to go to those places
1: uh oh for sure there are so many and a lot of them we we see in in the uh in the show the one that always comes to mind for me uh as a starting point is Vasselheim okay um and Vasselheim is known as the Dawn City uh, and it is basically the cradle of creation after the um, big historical calamity that basically almost wiped uh, life off of Exandria. Um, after the gods fought, um, Vasselheim was the one city that was left, and it was it was this bastion of life and hope. Um, and there's a lot of big important events that happen around it in uh, in the show in the first season. Um, but it's just such an interesting. Um, Interesting place to explore because you have uh, all of this history and all of this. There's like there's almost like a, a weight on on Vasselheim because it's a very religious place, understandably, because it was you know people view it as kind of protected by the gods. It's this um, this this one place that was a safe haven almost, um, and it's it's just so fun to see, even as a from a character perspective, even if your character isn't. believer in the gods um which i always think is an interesting thing when you play in settings where the gods are real because Hmm. you can see the effect of them through you know the magic that their paladins and clerics wield um it, it almost it's a place that has this weight on it while it's wonderful that it exists it's it's almost like this this burden of reputation um at least for me i don't know if it's intended to be that way but i think any place that's got a big monumental historical significance almost has this this burden to bear that it's got to constantly live to this this feeling um but yeah it's, it's i'm trying to think of other ones west run's another big one um it's uh between it's one of the few like really big cities in town okay. um and west run is uh a place um my brain, sorry, my brain just went completely blank then as I was talking about things. Um, it's it's known for having these warded areas. Um, so you have uh, like a, a residential area. There is a place that is dedicated to kind of the learnings and um, scholarly stuff. So you have the Cobalt Reserve, uh, which is a uh, organization which collects knowledge and it has this this library um and it's its followers worship ayun the goddess of of knowledge Mm -hmm. um which becomes they become really significant towards the end game of the first game and i i don't think if if you don't have a chance to visit westrun there's so much so much there you have uh there's the the temple ward there's a big temple to bahamut there as well, okay. the, the Platinum Dragon, um, and it's uh, Westrun is the place where Gilmore's Gilmore's Glorious Goods exists. So uh, I, I think it's one of those places that if you're playing in Taldore, you've got to have your players go through Westrun. Um, there is so much of Tal'dorei's history there, and so many cool uh, key factions to interact with, especially with the, with the Cobalt Reserve there and and Gilmore being there. Um, the other big one is obviously Imon, which is the main big capital city. Um, okay. It's the uh, the capital city of the Republic of Taldore. Um, it is this big, beautiful, you know, vast city. Um, just outside of it Grace Skull Keep, which is uh, Vox Machina's kind of home, as such, their their home base. Okay. Uh, and I mean, if you're if you're playing an Alexandria, who doesn't want to maybe go and knock on the door of of the big heroes that you've been hearing of course, about yes yeah um and it's it's divided into again these these districts that seems to be kind of a theme with a lot of the cities uh across uh exandria is the the kind of separation of areas um you've got the the cloud top which is the the really rich uh exuberant district it's where all the upper class live it's where the palace is you've got military districts um cemetery districts and it's also it's a big port city as well so there's a lot of potential for going off to other places and you know there's there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens around ports and seaside towns because you're in such close proximity to the sea mm-hmm. uh and i think that it's you know the ocean and the sea and sea travel is massively underutilized in a lot of settings mm-hmm. in D or otherwise um and that's interesting because as you move to Wildmount, you have the Menagerie Coast, which you definitely want to visit if you're over on that side of the continent. And it's this beautiful, vibrant place with port towns. And um, there is a, there's a whole group of people that worship um, what is essentially like a, a giant sea monster, uh, which grants them power that lays slumbering locked away. Uh, who doesn't want to mess
0: with that? Yeah, that sounds um, like, wake that up, see what happens.
1: Yeah. Uh, so those those are probably my my big ones. I, okay. Again, I'm very Taldori based because that's where I've played games. Uh, but if I was doing a wild mount camp wild mount campaign, definitely the Menagerie Coast because um, it's just so vibrant. Uh, yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> no, that all sounds amazing.
1: I'd have to stop myself because I could go on forever about all of the amazing locations mm. <laughs> that exist in these settings. Um, there are so many of them
0: <laughs> now you've already you kind of touched on it a little bit but as far as storylines because you mentioned like you know you could set your campaign in certain time periods like you know when the gods were fighting or, or, or the big war or the after the war are there any specific storylines that you would want to mention that if you dropped a, your characters into a campaign that they could be a part of either from the the critical role shows or shows or just something from the setting books that you're familiar with
1: oh yeah i think there's definitely uh, lots of things from the shows uh that if you wanted to play in the same time period as the show and your group is the other group at adventure is doing this other thing off here that maybe yeah. is affecting what you've seen on the show but was never that's always a thing i enjoy
0: that's one of seven. my favorite things to do when you're doing the media is that you find out that your characters did a thing that sort of connect like if you're really familiar with the media like you're the reason why that door was unlocked that was never explained in the show but like mm-hmm. they got to a door and it was unlocked for some reason. I love filling in those details with my campaigns.
1: Yeah, or you're you're the reason that a particular ally was in the right place at the right time so mm-hmm. then the, you know the the main the main group from the media that you know then gets to. I think that's really fun. And it's a great way to kind of put yourself it's like putting yourself in your favorite movie, right? You mm-hmm. everybody Sees their favorite movie and thinks, oh, "I'd love, I'd love to be in that. I'd love it if I was the person that did that," which yeah. meant they could do this, and it's kind of the way to do it. And you get to, you don't feel like you're playing second fiddle to Vox Machina or the Mighty Nine because you're telling your story that happens to coincide with theirs. um For me, uh I my, my own campaign that I set was actually set uh, about ten years after the end of. Um, Critical Role's first campaign. And there's uh, the both of the books are filled with so many like plot seeds that either relate back to events that have happened or just new new events and ideas based around the kind of threads that you have with certain factions or locations. And one of them in the Taldori setting was um, we know that Thordak had this host of dragon eggs that we saw in one of the uh, one of the big battle episodes with him. And the thread was, what if one of those eggs had survived? What happens then? Um, so my entire group were facing up against this, this red dragon that had hatched years ago and had been waiting to claim back what she thought was her father's throne, which was Iman, which is what Thordak tried to claim. Mm. Um, and so they were dealing with the remnants of this big, crucial event from the show because Vox Machina weren't around, they were off doing something else, you know, probably saving the world somewhere else. And they really liked that because it drew from something that they knew, this big event that they all had meta-knowledge of because they were all huge Critical Role fans. And suddenly they got to play around with the aftermath of it and what they imagined the world would look like mm-hmm. 10 years on from them. So right. it's its almost like, you know, you get to kind of play in your own fan fiction. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was for them um but i think there's so many threads that you can pull Uh, from the first campaign you know you have the fall of the chroma conclave um and all of these vying fighting dragons you obviously have have vecna um and whenever you you know you take down a big bad there's a reason that they got to that point they had followers support networks those don't just disappear when you kill off the head honcho you know it just leaves a void so there's a lot of story threads that you can pull there into. Well, what happens now? Where does that progress? Where do, Where does this organization, whose you know head guy, has been killed or imprisoned by the adventurers? Somebody's. Do they just disappear? Does somebody fill that void? Um, I think there's a lot to be pulled from the Vecna storyline. We know uh, that uh, the hand of Vecna. Uh, was taken or stolen so that's a whole uh, plot line that you could investigate the effects of that uh i think campaign two has got a lot as well um especially for uh if you wanted to set your games along the same time period because you have an entire continent who's at war um that leaves so many possibilities open for intrigue and espionage um, and dealing with a lot of conflict between places um especially as you have i'm trying to think of which which of the empires it is now off the top of my head and i can't remember but there's one which um whose inhabitants the inhabitants of this this area are all of the humanoid creatures that are usually put forth as monsters you know mm-hmm. you, you your orcs um your uh, centaurs things like that where normally you know the only time you ever see them as in D&D as an adventurer is when they're an adversary to you right um, and they're, they're the monster in the labyrinth and the monster at the bottom of the dungeon um, and I think there's a lot of story thread to be pulled there when I actually you go no here is a, a functioning society in the way that elves and dwarves and humans and tieflings all coexist within a city and live functionally and normally here is this other society of all of the humanoid creatures that are so quickly pushed to you know grunt number three in, yeah. in in any campaign here is a whole city a whole empire of these people who are living their lives and have their own gods and you know their own struggles that's a big thing that's hmm. really interesting i think for people to explore and the conflict that that has when you put that up against other empires uh within within the um the continent who are also vying for power and and land because uh the, the conflict of war is always a big one it always has fallout even if you're not playing soldiers within it if you're just you know you could be a group of traveling merchants and war is still going to have a massive effect on how you play your game right yeah and i i think that's the interesting thing is you can explore really human stories Um, around a continent that is currently war-torn you don't even have to pull up into the you know the high echelons of society and start playing intrigue games and trying to find peace or choosing a side and you know trying to give that side the victory you can you can have wildly epic campaigns of just trying to uh play on those those lower levels um and just try and help out people day to day,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: the the small conflicts that are rarely ever talked about um those would be the big things for me to pull out is i I like to pull less on individual specific things and more what is what is the tone of this, and then kind of deep dive into that
0: okay, well, I appreciate you sharing all that with me <laughs> uh, a couple more questions here uh so one thing I like to ask, and, and sometimes there's, there is a good answer to this question, but sometimes there's not, so I'll let you tell me if this is a good question for the setting or not, but do you think there are types of adventures that Exandria supports more so than other, either, either types of adventures? adventures that work better in exandria setting versus other types so you have like your dungeon crawls you have your political campaigns you have your uh you know heroes rise from no- nothing like you know dirt farmers to save the world uh, is there anything about exandria that you think fits a certain type of adventure maybe better than another setting or just certain adventures work better in that setting than others
1: yeah i think uh, on a broad scope the the kind of the adventures that end or Go towards that rise to very epic high fantasy are probably best suited to exandria Mm -hmm. just because of its history and a lot of its connection with the arcane and obviously you have things like the vestiges of divergence which are magic items created by matthew mercer remnants of items from the calamity that were imbued with this insane arcane power that as you collect this and you use they slowly begin to awaken and exalt themselves and become more powerful definitely um from that mechanics standpoint lends to a game in which your adventurers are not just staying as your average you know farmer turned adventurer (laughs) who gets a bit of magic and gets a little bit powerful but it's definitely geared mechanically towards that big progression climb into those much higher levels um those much more epic tiers of play um especially with some of the threats that exist as well and what we've seen on uh on the shows as well both both shows kind of show a big pull from ordinary adventurers to them becoming these big epic you know things that are capable of killing nearly godlike creatures right. um in their end games uh so i think that is probably if that is your thing if you like big epic tier play and epic fantasy uh that is exandria is going to suit you really well because it's it's history and the the theme of the setting overall really suits that okay um i think just for the the nature of the sheer size of the continents that we have been given to play with um in the currently published material and how many how well fleshed out so many locations are it's definitely suited to campaigns that require a lot of um travel i think okay. campaigns where you want to be hopping between place to place and covering and exploring a lot um is it's definitely more suited to that while you can do dungeon crawls i think if you were just using exandria to do dungeon crawl campaigns um you'd be losing a lot of what makes the setting so great if you're Mm. just focused on one small area for the entire like the entirety of your campaign Um, i think there are lots of other settings that do that really really well where you're within one small self-contained area and that is where you play Uh, but i think kind of the the bigger epic um almost like big quest like you know Mm -hmm. typical like very much like skyrim like that kind of video game where you start in one city and then it sends you halfway across the landmass and then back that kind of thing is what alexandria is best suited to big narrative epic high fantasy
0: kind of stuff all right thank you for that um so personal question here do you have a favorite memory as either a player or a DM from a session in the Exandria campaign. So not from Critical Role, but something you played or you ran.
1: I, I do. Um, so I, I ran an Alexandria campaign, as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> pardon me, um, right. where they were trying to go after one of Thordak's children, this egg that had somehow survived um, all these 10 years and hatched. And it was this uh, this young red or adult red dragon now uh called Thraxeter who had titled herself the Ember Queen um and there are a couple from from that campaign one of them was uh they really wanted to get Gilmore and one of the player characters they they wanted to go visit his 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 mum you know they they wanted to stop off home and stay the night in the city and uh <laughs> She was this really doting mother that I made up on the spot because they went, we, we kind of want to do this thing as players do. And you're like, I did not think you were going to yeah. do that.
0: was not um, planning on this at all, but Hey, let's roll with it.
1: And they, you know, they've become this little group. And one of the, uh, one of the play characters is a member of the class, which is the thieves guild in Taldore, And, uh, she's sitting around and she's like, Oh, you've brought friends home. What is, What is all of this? And, uh, what are you you guys a little group and the the thief not thinking anything of it this rogue just goes yeah we're a little gang and like any mother hearing that went my son in a gang you're with those terrible class but you Starts panicking about all the possible things you could be involved with and this this rogue looks at her and goes no we're a book club (laughs) and it's the the amazing moment of just it's not even because it's critical role related um but it was the way that in that moment, he said it out loud, panicking, because he didn't know what else to say. And the whole table, both in and out of character, looked at him and went, We're a what now?
2: <laughs>
1: um, and it was a good place to kind of name name drop some fun some fun things that they'd uh fr- from the games like Tusk Love being this this kind of saucy romance novel that shows up in campaign two, which one of the mm. characters had a copy of.
0: Um, That's I, I, that sounds like a great moment
1: yeah the other one was that uh they really wanted to get like she she became a reoccurring npc that
0: they would not stop visiting
1: every time they were in town i had to give her story development um and they really wanted her to meet gilmore because i'd i'd uh he decided his character had a marquisian background so his mother was marquisian his father was um from him um and so they they kept trying to find ways to get her to meet gilmore so they they go to Gilmore and talk to him about things and um, you know, be like, oh my my mum really wants to meet you. Like she's a really big fan. She heard about all the Vox machina stuff. And the possibly one of the best memories was just them constantly trying to shoehorn his mum into conversation to get her to meet Gilmore. And one night they stopped by, um, like as adventurers do, they kind of forget that they they don't have right to everything. So it's like the middle of the night and they've decided they want to stop by stop by Gilmore's because they need some stuff and they can't wait till the morning. So they let themselves in and they just find Gilmore and, you know, this character's mum sitting and having, you know, tea and a late night dinner and chatting. They're like, what is going on here? And it's like, well, you shouldn't budge into places when when the sign says close on the front, should you? <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um and just just little bits like that that they they pulled out. Um, it's it's just a great setting for for playing with. A lot of it is with with those NPCs. Uh, I'm just trying to think if there's any other really funny ones that they had with that. Uh, a lot of it was them just getting like getting to see as a GM them interact with these things that they'd seen on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they went to the the Cobalt Reserve for the library um, and getting to seeing the excitement on them that they got to be in this place and they got to poke around and ask questions um getting to see like just generally going around west run and seeing the locations and the places that were affected by by Thought Act back in the day because that's what they were trying to research um and the struggle of them trying to pretend that they didn't know the full story of what had happened yeah right <laughs> um And them constantly trying to see if they could have uh, Vox Machina show up. Mm. Uh, And they managed it a little bit. They went to Whitestone, which is one of the other big key areas uh, in the Tal'Dorei setting. And uh, they thought they'd be really clever and try to teleport themselves into the castle. Because that would be quicker than going through the proper channels of announcing their presence and requesting an
0: audience. Okay, yeah. Makes Um, sense. I'm I'm on board with this.
1: And uh, I, I decided that, you know, it's it's Vox Fox Machina live here. This is Vex and um, Percy's castle. They're going to have some protection wards. Uh, and they rolled well enough to, like, break through them, but I had them roll to see where they ended up within this castle. Uh, and one of them may have uh, ended up in Lady Vexalia's uh, bedchambers mm.
2: uh,
1: in the middle of the afternoon when she was not expecting it. So, um that was their little run-in that they got to have with voxmark and it was an angry vexalia dragging this person down being like who the hell is this where did you come from and why are you here um you know and getting it's it's always fun when you have to try and make up character voices for Mm -hmm. really well-known characters that have very distinct voices because i'm not laura bailey uh so yeah their little run-in with that was great because they were in so much hot water for half of that session because they look like intruders in this Mm -hmm. super important place
0: and by their own decision making like they put themselves in that position right yeah
1: i mean i tried to offer them the you know the easy route into the castle but they were like no we'll teleport in that's more fun That the fun of watching them as players absolutely, uh, as like characters absolutely panic at what they've done, but as players, absolutely giddy. They're like, we don't care what happens to us. You know, they can lock us up in prison. We got to meet Vexalia and uh, Percy, Mm. you know, Uh, that's always fun. I I usually remember as a GM, less individual things, but more... The, the the general situations where i can see my players are really having fun right
2: because
1: this is what i want to do as a gm i you know i want them to win i want them to succeed or i want them to fail in the ways that they think is enjoyable to fail mm-hmm. um and when it was coming to that you know running it for a bunch of critical role fans i just want to see them have the same excitement about getting to interact with things as i have the excitement of getting yeah. to know getting to sit in matt mercer's seat and decide what happens with these well-known people and places um and that's really fun and i think it's amazing that we get to do
0: that (laughs) nice uh so you have somebody who is about to start playing or sorry excuse me they're about to start running their first campaign in an Alexandria setting so we'll assume they are an experienced dm but this is the first time in that world. Do you have any advice for them? Anything that you would say you should probably do this or avoid that or think about this or think about that for a first-time Exandria campaign?
1: Yeah, I think uh, one of the big things would be don't feel beholden to the show Mm -hmm. Um, because none of us are Matt Mercer. None of us hold the history of Exandria in its complete detail in our heads the way that he does um and this is about your story in this world this isn't about trying to faithfully recreate everything as seen on the show for either either of the settings that are currently available um it is about your enjoyment and making it into your your own so don't be afraid to you know detach your group from the events of the show you don't have to pull on a thread that was generated by something that happened in the in one of the two campaigns. But don't be afraid to change things um, to fit what you want with your game. You know, if there's an NPC and actually they kind of need to be doing this thing, or maybe you have to turn them into a bad guy because that's what's fun and interesting. Don't be afraid to do that. Um don't be so beholden to what exists and what's in those books that you lose your enjoyment and your flexibility of what you want to do with a game. Um, the other one I would say is don't try and like read the entire like gazetteer sections cover to cover and try and remember every little detail about every location your players might go to. Mm-hmm. Um these are big continents it's a big world there is a lot uh, and nobody could remember that all so focus on getting to know the area where your players start because they're probably going to be there a little while
2: mm-hmm.
1: um you know it's not until they really wrap themselves up in some kind of mess that you're going to have to start sending them halfway across the <laughs> continent um so just enjoy those little pieces and talk to your players about what bits they want because it's likely if you've decided as a group you want to play in Alexandria, some of you are probably critical role fans you might have some players who don't know it that well but want to play but let the people in the group who know exandria well and maybe know the show well um pick out some of the bits that they want to enjoy don't be afraid of letting them go and meet gilmore or letting them go and see the menagerie coast and visiting jester's mother don't you know if if they decide they want to be embroiled in similar conflicts don't be afraid of letting them do that because you think that it's not going to match up to matt mercer nobody else is matt mercer except matt mercer Hmm. um and Just because they play a certain way or he can do all of these voices doesn't mean that you have to do that. You just have to make sure that your players are enjoying it. So find the things that they want to pull on and run with those. Find the little Easter eggs that they want to interact with. You know, If you've got a player who wants nothing more like it, make their day to meet an NPC or one of the the critical roles player characters put that in there eventually and let them have it because that is the fun of playing in a setting like this where potentially some if not all of your players are really familiar with the world um that's the things that people come for you know if you're playing Eberron or Forgotten Realms there are some key bits that you really want to be able to like dig into you know for me in Forgotten Realms it is Halaster Blackcloak. Black Cloak um and like dungeon of the mad mage style stuff i love it if i'm in a game like that and i get to interact with something that's pulled from that thread because that's just a bit i love about the setting um so don't don't be afraid of sometimes just orchestrating a fun encounter or a meeting or something just to give the players that little easter egg because it's it's the charm of running in a setting like this or any kind of setting that's based on a known right. intellectual property right is yeah. getting to poke at those bits that you wish you could when you were watching it
0: absolutely and you know i think that fits for anything that's based on popular media like star wars you know you play in a star wars game the the fact that there are all these movies and shows and books helps do some of the heavy lifting for you but at the same time you can't be beholden because your clone wars might end differently than the shows did yeah. but at the same time you can kind of go hey we're going to this place and if people have watched the show like oh no we know we know what what could happen here or we know who might be here so you kind of get the best bo- best of both worlds you get to use it to your advantage but don't be beholden to it i think that's excellent yeah, advice
1: not not being stuck to it is always good because that can feel really limiting not just for for the dms but it will translate into how your players feel when they're running it because if you're like no you can't do that because this thing happened and that meant this it kind of cuts off their creativity in the long term because suddenly not only are you making yourself beholden to every single word written on a page or that's been shown in the show but you're also forcing them to be beholden to that as well and maybe there are some things that you want them to be kept to and that's fine but don't feel like you have to if it doesn't work right um, right. and the other thing is, I think there's one other big thing is that sure. because everybody knows it so well, um be be sensitive to the fact that it's very easy, it's very difficult to not meta some stuff, especially hmm. if your players have seen the show, they're gonna have knowledge about things that their players won't have had. And the way that I got around a lot of this was if it was a major event that happened um and the thing that they could uh, like the player could recall really well i just found a reason for their player to have some of that understanding mm. so they might not have the full picture but you know if one of my player characters knew the details of like Thordak's rise to power and the occupation of imon in so much detail cuz i really loved those episodes and i said you know what that's detail that you have and that you're going to struggle as a player to like try and forget your character so why don't you just have your character be from him on you were a child around the time that happened and your parents told you all the stories so you kind of know bits of it and maybe i'll change some bits of how it actually happens so that your your version of events might not be true to my canon history of of my version of the world um that's one thing it's very difficult when you it's it's like playing star trek, like star trek or star wars right you You've seen the monsters. You, you know that you know everyone's seen the TOEPS episode where the tribbles go everywhere. You yeah. know how tribbles work. And it's such a big thing to try and pretend that you don't know when it's so iconic. That There's no point pretending you don't know in game. You might as well just let the character know that and give them a story right. reason and let them enjoy knowing that thing.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, so then we have the other side of the coin. You have a player who's about to play in their first, first Exandria campaign. Any advice for them?
1: Uh, if if you're not familiar with Critical Role, don't feel like you have to go and watch every episode there is to feel like you can understand how the world works. Um, a, because there's a lot of episodes <laughs> and you'll be there for like a year. Yeah. Uh, but also because the, the point of you picking up this game is not to again, copy what has already existed. This is your story. This is your player's story. And there, there can always be a reason that your player doesn't know what has happened in the past when the rest of your group, you know, you might be the one or two people who hasn't haven't seen the show and you've joined a group where everybody else has. That's fine. Maybe you're from out of town, you know, maybe you were somewhere else when a lot of this kicked off. So you don't know what happened. Um, and there's lots of reasons that you can have in story for not knowing these things. And also, lean on other players that do know if you feel like you kind of want to know more because i'm sure that they will excitedly tell you anything Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you want to know about the setting um and there are ways that you can support that in character too forming an in-character relationship to another character who has a lot of this knowledge if you're feeling a bit like you're out of your depth and you don't really know what's going on can be really good um but also communicating that to other players and to your gm because they might be able to find story ways to explain a lot of that to you or even sit down with you outside of session um the biggest thing is have fun don't be afraid of if you are a fan of the the show or the or you've read the setting guides at least and there's bits in there that you want to interact with pulling at the threads that get you to interact with those or outright telling your gm you know like my players told me we really want to meet somebody from vox marketer that'd be Mm -hmm. cool yeah Um, i don't think there's anything wrong with saying i would like this type of encounter i would like to find a way to interact with this thing and working with your gm to make that achievable that's a really important part of role playing
0: yeah i Um, think that's great about for any player any campaign is just you know say what you want in any relationship you know the communication i always say communication is you know the biggest issue with any relationship letting people know what you're hoping for what you expect it's like there's almost almost no downside to it
1: if if you have a good GM, you should be able to tell them what your plans are and where you're going, and not worry that they're going to try and mess with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because any good GM is here to see you succeed and wants to ha- wants you to have fun, right? And we might want to, you know, put some twists in there and play on it. But for me, when I was running in this setting, I knew that there would be things players wanted to interact with, and I wanted them to tell me what they were so I could put them in because I'm I'm not a mind reader. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I suppose the other one is. While on one hand, definitely do try to interact with those elements that you love about the setting. Don't be careful that you don't do that at the detriment of other people at your table. Mm. So if you are somebody that knows critical role really well, but maybe one of the players at your table doesn't, maybe try not to constantly pull things into a place where they can only succeed if they have knowledge of what's going on. at least without helping them through it, because it can be very isolating if you're the one or two people at a table that doesn't have, you know, an encyclopedic knowledge of the setting that you're playing in. Um, so just being mindful that if you do know it really well, there are others that don't, and it can be very easy to pull them into a situation where it's kind of like puzzles. Um, puzzles and game are really fun, but it they can become... Uh, frustrating if you as a player cannot figure out the puzzle even if your character could so you have to find like an in-between line where it's it's a challenge for the character but it doesn't frustrate the player
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, it's the same thing i think with a lot of setting stuff in well-known settings if you've got somebody at the table who doesn't know it as well so if you're experienced with setting just be mindful that sometimes people aren't And that means that they're not going to understand why you want to keep going to this place or keep meeting this NPC. Just make sure that you give them breathing room to kind of create the bits that they love about the setting and to interact with the bits that they do understand. Um, Even if it's not the super interesting, the coolest thing, because you know that this other thing is you know way bigger of a plot point
2: mm-hmm. if
1: they found one little corner of the setting that they've really fell in love with help encourage that because it will eventually spread it will branch and they will pick up other things right um that would that would be my advice there.
0: Right. uh so we know we have Two source books,es source books,es I can't talk. Source books <laughs> out there, the the Taldori setting, which is from Green Ronin, but I actually just looked. It looks like it's out of print. Um, and then we have the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount from Wizards of the Coast, which is the new 5e hardback. And we have two full campaign seasons of Critical Role that people could watch. So other than those three things, is there anywhere that you would send someone to get more information about? exandria setting uh, you know are there uh wikipedia pages is there is there any place that you can think of someone could go to get more details about the setting other than the, those three
1: uh i would say hands down the critical role wikipedia pages uh there are fan wikis up for both of the campaign settings Um, if you wanted to have a look and see what they contained in more detail without yet purchasing the book there's uh, wiki pages dedicated to both of those Um, but the critical wiki the fan wiki itself is incredibly extensive Um, and it's it's amazing like they have a very dedicated community that catalog everything that happens Mm. and everywhere they go Um, so if you really want to deep dive into something you know you've picked uh you, you want to deep dive into Whiterun and the Taldori campaign guide just doesn't go down to the level of detail that you want because you want to find a specific event that happened in the show so you can find out more because you want to attach a f- plot thread to that go to the wiki somebody will have catalogued everything that happened um or they'll you know they'll even be able to tell you what episodes things happened in so if you do want to go back and watch particular bits of the game maybe you're a DM and you're setting, you know, your campaign like I did around the the aftermath of ThorDAC, you can use the wiki to find out which episodes you might want to send players to or which timestamps you might want to send players to to go just watch this, you know, this one hour bit and that'll give you an idea of what's happening. Or this bit here will give you an I this episode here will give you an idea of the tone that we're going for um can be really useful in pinpointing that rather than just going here's a playlist of like 117 episodes there you go that can be overwhelming
0: that are like Um, three and a half hours each
1: yeah and if if most people are anything like me uh with any ttrpg game or tv show once you get past like the first five or six episodes or sessions i can't remember what session something happened in anymore (sighs) uh i've been playing in a game of thrones campaign for two years and if someone goes so at the start of this season where was your character i'm like what was the start of the season because it's now just one timeline and critical role is kind of like that for me for the first campaign now i couldn't tell you what episode something happened in i'd have to go and look that up
2: Mm -hmm.
1: um so that can be useful if you're trying to prep for something or trying to give other people reference um as for the Taldore setting guide, I, I know it is out of print. It is possible that you might still be able to get a PDF of it um, from Green Ronin because I know they did a PDF version as well. Okay. Uh, just if anyone is put off by the idea of it being out of print, um, but yeah, those those are the big places. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other little. A lot of, there's a lot of fandom pages um and a lot of like facebook and twitter and discord communities um critter communities as they are affectionately known um some of them just focus on appreciation of the show itself right um but some of them do focus on uh you know people running games and the more dnd aspects of things so having a look around those and some of those bigger communities might be useful uh a good place to look for players or for gms or for advice on the setting from people who have been running it for a long time or who are uber uber knowledgeable about things that have gone on um those are probably the big ones
0: yeah i also imagine there's probably a lot of fan art that you could pull from to like show your players like this is the city or this is that character
1: yeah there's there's tons and tons of critical role fan art you only have to like do a a twitter hashtag search <laughs> um you know to find some of it and they usually i don't know if they still do but in the first campaign they used to show reels of fan art at the beginning of their games oh, nice. in the later seasons so even just like um some of the later episodes if you just watch like the first couple of minutes of the youtube videos cuz they're all uncut um you can see the fan art reels and things like that uh and the both of the campaign books have got some really really amazing artwork in them the locations um which is going to be as true to um you know because mm. this is the quote-unquote official artwork this would have been stuff that would have been written you know too brief specifically to picture these locations or these creatures mm. um and that's like you know that's the most official version of it so there are some really, really cool pieces of art. One of my favorite is the, the Cinder Slag Elementals that you get in the uh, Tal'Dorei campaign guide, which are the result of uh, some of the thought act shenanigans and bits and pieces. Uh, they look really cool. <laughs> nice.
0: Well, Virginia, thank you so very much for spending time with me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, if people want to interact with you online and talk to you about the things that you've been working on, you know, uh, the, the books and that kind of thing, where can people find you to interact with you on the on the internet?
1: Uh, You can find me at Twitter, uh, at Tabletop Hoard. Um, I post all sorts of stuff there from general TTRPG industry things, projects I'm on, um, instruments I play. uh, But you can also find me on Twitch, at Tabletop Hoard as well, um, where I play video games like three or four times a week, um, varying stuff. Sometimes we do TTRPG things, uh, but if you want to see me playing tabletop role-playing games, uh, I can be found nearly every other saturday over on follow black cats at twitch which is black cats gaming's twitter um we have a game of thrones campaign that's been going we're in our fifth coming to the end of our fifth season now oh wow um so we're going about two years and we've got one more season to go after this if you want to see me actually role playing it's there um, and there may be some more role playing coming up for Black Hats Gaming involving their new game, Cursed Captains of Cthulhu, which I am the lead graphic designer for, which is exciting. Congratulations. Oh, um, so I will hopefully be getting around to running a game of that soon because I haven't GM'd anything in a good couple of years now, thanks to pandemic and hmm. just a lot of work. Uh, I've, I've only really played and stuff, so I'm itching to flex the GM fingers. So if you want to see me GM on stream... Uh, keep an eye out on my my Twitter for announcements.
0: All right. Very, very cool. And then just a side note, if you can, I think I caught most of that, but if you can just send me links to your twitch and any of those things i'll just throw them all in the show notes of the episode so people can get to them easily yeah of course thank you (laughs) all right well, once again virginia thank you so much for joining me i really appreciate it it was absolute pleasure to get to talk to you um and maybe we'll talk again soon we we i will self-plug here we do some stuff where we do reviews of products and that kind of such so if you ever have something maybe a freelance project or something else that you would want to promote we might be able to be an avenue for that for you so just reach out and let me know uh but for this, thank you so much for, you know, explaining and giving me some details about Exandria. Uh, it does sound like a lot of fun. It actually reminds me a lot of Eberron, which, again, is my favorite. Um, so it's definitely, you know, there's some things that you mentioned, like, okay, I could I could see myself putting a, a game together in that part. So hopefully someone else listening felt the same and will go out. And if they're not already into it, get into it and maybe run a game for their players or get a, get their team to run it for them. But uh, thank you again. We're going to say goodbye and we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye.